Well, my name's Ryan. I'm the kids and family pastor here at the church, and I love getting the chance to talk to you guys about all sorts of things that are happening here at the church. But today, we're in kind of a unique place, right? We just finished last week our series called The Art of Worship, and next week, we're kicking off a brand new series called Mirror, Mirror, which is based off of the book of James. And today, we have what we call a standalone message. I, I got to talk to you guys about something that I think is critical for the Christian to have in their toolbox to enrich relationships and enrich your lives. But it's also something that's applicable for everybody. So if you're here today, just checking out this church thing, we're glad that you're here. There should be some cool takeaways for you guys today. So now that I've got you on the edge of your seat, you're wondering, Ryan, what are you going to talk to us about today? I'm going to talk about conflict resolution, yeah? All right, don't get too excited. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. About 10 years ago, I was in a really dark place, relationally, spiritually, financially. I had come out on the losing side of a big risk that I took, and I was jobless. I was penniless. I was friendless. I have no idea why Lindsay, my wife, stayed with me, but she did. And we ended up moving back to Colorado Springs. My brother-in-law, Sean, and my sister, Serena, opened up their home to us. They allowed us to move in with them so we could get back on our feet. And then just a few short months later, the 2008 financial crisis took place. And then this whole cohabitating thing became mutually beneficial for both parties. But I struggled with this the entire time, right? I was used to being in charge. I was used to being the homeowner, right? I called the shots. I was in control. But no, I was living in somebody else's house, somebody else's furniture. Not to mention it was my sister, right? I'm the little brother. There's always a weird dynamic there. I've always loved my sister, but not too much, right? Yeah, yeah, not too much but I've always been arrogant. I've always been cocky. I've always had to win. I've always had to be the one that was right. And unfortunately, this played out as adults. Living together, it didn't actually get any better. And my sister and I had some, some rubs. We had some friction, right? Especially as the paycheck cycles kind of changed, right? Whoever had a couple extra dollars that week on their paycheck was the one that was in charge. Right? we got to push each other around a little bit. Whoever could afford the guacamole at Chipotle was the one that was in charge that pay cycle. But we were in conflict. And not only were we not handling it well, we were telling everybody else about the problems that we were going through. Right? We, were, we were gossiping. It was an absolute mess. And we were in trouble. Right? We had this conflict. We had this undercurrent of strife in our relationship. And what I've learned since then is the Bible has a ton of stuff about conflict. You see, the Bible knows that we're going to run into conflict in our life, and it's going to happen surprisingly often. And it gives us so many tools for us to apply. For, for Christians, those that are just here checking things out, there's some good stuff here. We're going to unpack that today and take a look about how to biblically resolve conflicts. So we're going to jump in. If you brought your Bibles, crack it open to Matthew 5. We're going to go through verses 23 and 24, and we're going to go through a great biblical truth here that Jesus has to start with. It says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see that? It's your move. 
You're the one that's supposed to take that first step. As the offended party, you have to start. And that's not how it works. It's usually, no, 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 I want to tell everybody else about this problem and not the one that I have a problem with, right? That's gossiping. And this apparently, according to this passage, is more important than worship, more important than giving the church money. Leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. I know, I know me, I like to invite people to my pity party, but that's not the step that we're supposed to take. And before we even go to them, we need to take an honest look at ourselves. We need to evaluate our heart in this. How am I approaching this conflict? Am I in it for the wrong reasons? We're going to fast forward now to Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because it's so hard-hitting. And it says this, Why do you see the speck? That is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is coming out of your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye while there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't have a log in my eye, do I? No, no, this is talking about something completely different. Are you owning your part in this? Because you probably play something in this conflict. Have you thought about that? That you probably have a part of this. Have you seen the log in your own eye? Are you willing to acknowledge your part? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to freely forgive this other person, even if you guys don't see eye to eye? Or log to speck, rather. Right? Are you able to freely forgive that person? It's significant and it's helpful. This first step is super important. And the Bible also gives us some other insights here because we want to approach this conversation the right way. You may have to start this off very delicately because how are you going to get a speck out of your brother's eye? Right? Anybody? Yeah, gently. Right? Carefully. And with their permission. That might start like this. Hey, man. Listen, we need to talk. There's something you may not have realized yet, something you may not have thought about yet, and we need to get together and have a conversation. And the Bible also tells us some other helpful things here, that we don't have to get bent out of shape over every little thing that happens out there. It says this in Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that countercultural? I mean, wouldn't a little Proverbs 19.11 go a long way to solve some of the cultural angsts that we're experiencing right now? Choosing not to be offended versus choosing to be offended. Isn't that profound? You know, the Bible here so far has given us a lot of insights of what we're supposed to do. You kick off this conversation, you realize that you're hurt, or you realize that your brother's hurt, and you leave your gift at the altar and you go to them. You own your part in it, right? You find the log that's in your eye, and if you can, brush this off, right? Choose not to be offended, choose to roll this one off. But what if you can't? What if you're hurt? What if deep down you're offended and this conflict needs to be solved? Does the Bible give us something to do? Of course it does. It's the Bible. 
It gives us a clear pathway, and Jesus lays it out for us. So flip now to Matthew 18. We're going to spend the rest of our time in this series of passages here, verses 15 through 17. And this is great stuff. If you're a note taker, you may want to jot some of these things down because Jesus gives us some absolute uh, golden nuggets here to deal with. So we're going to read this passage in its entirety and then start taking it down piece by piece. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, that covers a lot of ground. Let's go ahead and break this up here, starting off with principle number one. It's right there at the top of the passage. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay, this is so simple that it's difficult, right? Let's get real here. When somebody sins against me, I don't want to go and tell them what they've done. I want to tell everybody else how much of a jerk they are. Yeah, I don't want to have to deal with it. Right? I don't want to have to take that first step. I want everybody to feel sorry for me. Right? We need to remove the log from our own eye because when we're talking to other people about it, this is a big problem. For example, it could be those passive-aggressive statements that you make. Right? You ever seen somebody go on Facebook and they just put on there, I've had it! I can't take anymore! Right? And then here comes the train. Oh my gosh, tell me the thing about the stuff that the person said. Right? And the person says, oh, just... Just private message me, and I'll tell you everything, right? Yeah. This isn't helpful, okay? This isn't helpful. You need to go to that person one-on-one, -on -one because anything else is gossip. Just the two of you, okay? Go to them privately. You might have to meet at a coffee shop, a place that you may know. Maybe it's a phone call if distance is a real issue here, but face-to-face -face is always going to be best, regardless of your age. This will also need to be intentional because I promise you, the spontaneous right time to solve conflict ain't going to happen, people. You're going to have to schedule this. You're going to have to plan for this. And you can't make somebody else be reconciled. You can only invite them into the process. And it's bold. And it's biblical. And it's hard. It's difficult. You're going to have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you navigate these rough waters to seek reconciliation towards this relationship. Now, I personally found that after applying this first principle, so many problems get solved before they ever get bad. And I get the chance to meet with people pretty often, and... I hear about these undercurrents of problems in the relationship, and I hear a scorecard, right? Somebody says, oh, back at Christmas in 1998, so-and-so said something, and I'm like, oh my goodness, do they even know that you're upset? And they say, no, they don't need to be told that they're a jerk, they already know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not how this works. You have to go to them one-on-one -on -one and realize this, that how you approach conflict resolution here is a heart thing. You can't want to resolve the conflict because you want to win. You have to generally and genuinely 
want to, want to restore the relationship, are you willing yourself to be corrected if you're wrong, if you have a part in this, if your log, you haven't quite realized the size of it yet? Are you willing to own your part about this? Second idea, second principle that Jesus brings up here. If we continue on in this Matthew 18 passage, it says this. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. All right, now it's getting real. By now, many of you have experienced this, where you've tried to resolve conflict with somebody in person. Anybody ever do that before? Yeah, you try to resolve the conflict. It doesn't work. There's still some angst. One or both parties is still hanging on to the problem. Now we're supposed to bring one to two people along with us. Not a group, okay? Not a posse, okay? Yeah, not a gaggle, okay? you got to bring one to two other people. I don't know about you, but two questions come to mind about bringing one or two people along with me. I know that the first question that I want to ask is, why in the world do I want to bring other people into my problems? Right? Well, the first obvious wrong answer is to win. I want to win the argument. I want them to be wrong, and I want to win. But that's not what this is about. You have to be willing to bring people into the conversation that are going to help you restore and reconcile the relationship. Second question. This is something else that comes to mind for me. When it's time to bring one or two people into the conversation, the next question is, who do I bring? I don't know about you, but I like people that like what I think, right? I want them to agree with me. I want them to be in my corner, but those are the wrong people to bring. For example, let's say that you and your spouse are in conflict, okay? And you have a history of bringing your mom into the conversation with you, yeah? You have a history of bringing mom into the conversation, and mom is always on your side. She always tells you what you want to hear. She helps agree with you, right? And then your spouse knows this, and your spouse is over here, and they see you and your mom coming at them. Are they going to go, oh, it's Jesus. They want to restore the relationship. No, they're going to go, ah, because they know that they're going to get a lashing, right? Yeah, this is not the way. Now, don't get me wrong. I am aware that in some situations, there is an individual that's close to one party of the two that are in conflict here. That's mature enough and spiritually wise enough to help both parties navigate this conflict. But it's rare. You have to bring the right people into the conversation to help you guys restore and resolve the conflict. It might need to be a pastor. It might need to be a mature individual or a friend that has both parties' interests in mind. And in some situations, uh, finding industry leaders from other areas. Now, obviously, you're going to have to prepare this other person that you're bringing one or two others along with you. How, how does that conversation go? It might look like this. Hey, listen, the last time that we met, I don't feel like we gained any ground. And I want to bring in so-and-so to help us better understand each other, right? That's one way you can set up that conversation. It's not ganging up on them so you can win. It's to seek 
real resolution here. Okay. Principle number three. Jesus provides another detail here for us to take away from this Matthew 18 passage. Now, in this case, he's discussing what happens when another person in conflict is simply refusing to be reconciled or to restore the relationship. What then? Jesus says this. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, now it's getting real. Could you imagine if on the third Sunday of each month we drug people up here and said, everybody, that's Doug. Doug did the thing. Shame him, right? <laughs> no, that's not what we're supposed to do at all. Jesus has something completely different in mind. And unfortunately, I think that what I just described is what a lot of people have in their mind as a picture when it comes to bringing the church in to helping people find restoration. That couldn't be further from the truth. And we completely miss Jesus' point here. Realize this, that Jesus specifically here is talking about conflict between two believers. Two people who are part of the same church. And churches back in the day were 10 to 15 people large. Not too different from our life groups that we have today. And both parties would recognize the authority of the church in their life to help them resolve this conflict. So how do we apply that idea in real life? Well, if your conflict is happening with someone outside of the church, you're going to have to pause and ask yourself, who is it? Who's the group of people that I and this other person recognize as authority to help us sort these things out? might be a supervisor. It might be the HR department again, right? Or a group of people from the HR department. Or if the conflict is with a fellow church member here at North Church and you've already walked through these first couple of steps, you may need to speak to a pastor. Or if you volunteer, you might have to reach out to the leader that's in the ministry that you serve in to help you guys resolve this conflict. And of course, if the conflict is within another member of your life group, you would go to your life group leaders to help you resolve this conflict. What this is really talking about in the end is who has the authority to act in your life that you and the other conflicted party will recognize as authority. Now, speaking of life groups, you heard Mike at the top of the message today, or the top of the, the, the service today, talk about these James groups coming up. This is a big deal. If you're not in a healthy community where you're growing, where you're sharing your journey of faith with, you're missing out, and you should join a group. It is super important. Realize this. Part of the North Church mission is to help people connect in healthy and growing relationships. Why? Because so many and the majority of people all over the world are connected in unhealthy and degrading relationships. It is more important than you realize to have healthy relationships in your life. And you have an opportunity. Those James groups are starting very soon. Sign up today right after service. It's five weeks long. It's a chance for you to give this a try and see how community starts to build for you. I can't promise it's going to be easy. I can't promise it's not going to be a little difficult. And I can hear some of the dudes already. Maybe some of the ladies too, but some of the guys. Oh, I don't want to join a small group. Then I have to talk about me. Right? It can be difficult, I know, but the ROI is amazing, and it might just be the most important thing that you do this year. 
All right, let's move on to the final principle in that Matthew 18 passage. Number four here, okay? The final principle Jesus gives us to work with as things have continued to develop, right? You've gone to this person one-on-one. You found the log in your eye. It didn't work out. You went to that person again with one or two other people that were the right individuals. It still didn't solve itself. Then you got the right group involved. Didn't happen, and now this. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, right? Flog him! Yeah, again, no, it completely misses the point. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? He loved them. Realize this, back in the day, tax collectors were the worst. They were scum. They came into villages with the Romans, and they're kicking down doors, and they're stealing people's donkeys, and they're lying in their pockets the entire time, honest to goodness people, causing people to starve, tearing up families. Tax collectors were the worst. And how did Jesus treat them? He loved them. He invited them to follow him. He went to Matthew, the tax collector, and asked him to follow him. Jesus loved him. Are you guys hearing this? Yeah, Jesus loves tax collectors. How did Jesus treat Gentiles? What the heck is a Gentile? Right? A Gentile, most simply put, is not a Jew, which means most of us sitting here right now are Gentiles. How did Jesus treat Gentiles? He loved them. He invited them to follow him. And what can we learn from that? If you've gone through this conflict and you're still working with somebody that just won't relent, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to love them. Show them the gospel. Invite them to follow Jesus and continue loving them. At the end of our time in Colorado Springs, my sister, Serena, and myself, we were, we were stuck in conflict still. It was really bad. We had spent the previous three and a half years navigating the nation's financial problems. But things started to get better. We started to get the right jobs. We started to get some more money. And we became less dependent from one family to the next. And because we weren't counting on each other anymore to come through, we got more direct and more aggressive with the things that we were saying, and not to mention telling everybody else, gossiping all over the place. And then Lindsay and I told Sean and Serena that we were moving to, moving to Spokane. And that's when things got really bad because there was this angst of family leaving with this bitterness of this previous three and a half rush, uh, rush uh, rough years of cohabitating and it was difficult and we left in conflict we left I moved here to Spokane in conflict with my sister we didn't talk much we didn't get along much and then about a year or so after we got here to Spokane my sister called me she she took that courageous first step my sister Serena she called me and she said Ryan I'm hurt. You've hurt me. I'm offended. And by the grace of God in that moment, I finally saw the log in my own eye. And I got the chance to remove it. And then my sister gave me permission. And very gently and very carefully, I removed the speck from her eye. 
we finally took that first step towards restoring our relationship. Today, my sister and I have a lovely relationship. I don't call home enough. I don't go home and visit enough. But we're no longer in conflict. And my biggest regret is that we didn't take this step sooner because we would have saved everybody so much stress and so much angst. Mom, I'm sorry. I can only imagine my mom being on the receiving end from both myself and my sister and how hard it must have been. So I ask you this question. Where is the conflict in your life? And what are you going to do about it? If you don't have conflict right now, bless you, you'll be in conflict again. And how are you going to respond to Jesus' conversation of what you're supposed to do when you're in conflict? How are you going to handle that? What are you going to do? Are you going to realize that you have a log in your eye? Are you going to leave your gift at the altar? Are you going to be in prayer and hoping you can just let this offense bounce off of you? But if you can't, if you're still offended, if you're still in conflict, will you make that courageous first step to call them, to schedule a time with them, to tell them how you feel? Realize this, part of our mission at the church, the helping people connect in healthy and growing relationships, that's not just a sweet line. That's from the Bible. We learn here from the book of Matthew that Jesus wants us to have healthy and growing relationships. And that's what we do here as a church. We want to pursue those. Where's the conflict in your life? And will you take that first step? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We come to you right now with open hearts and open minds, God, realizing that we need your power. We need your strength to overcome the conflict in our lives. This is hard, God. I don't know if I have the strength to do this. I don't think I can do this without you, God. We need your mercy. We need your grace. God, help us all connect in healthy and meaningful relationships and give us the courage to take a risk, to take a risk to follow your instructions. We exalt you, God. And Lord, I know that there's some people here today that don't know you. They were here for worship. They heard us sing songs. They heard us go through the motions today. And, and they're wondering. They're wondering about you. They want to know more. They want to know you, Jesus. They want to take that next step. They hear people call themselves Christians, and they're like, I don't really know what that means, but I think I, think I want to try it. I want to, I want to go after you, Jesus. I want to know this guy that believes that relationships are so important that I have to trust you to take this first step. And if that's you today, we're going to respect your privacy. But if that's you today, go ahead and raise your hand. If you want to know more about Jesus and how to follow him and resolve conflicts and you want him to be in your lives, I see you. I see you up in the balcony. Jesus sees you. 
Pray with me. Lord, I love you. I think I'm learning. I went through, I went to church today. I experienced something, God. I heard you. I want to know more, Jesus. I heard from you in the Bible today about how to solve conflict and trusting you. And God, I want to turn away from the things of my life. And I want to lay my life at your feet and follow you, Jesus. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Some of the the theology and the stuff makes me nervous. But I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Trust you that you are God. And that you are my Lord and Savior. And that I'm going to follow you and leave the things of this world behind. Jesus, I love you. If you just prayed that prayer, blessings to you. Welcome to the kingdom. We're super excited that you're here. Let's give those individuals a hand. What a day. What a day. Well, let's finish praying together. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you. We want to be bold. We want to follow you. We want to resolve conflict. And Holy Spirit, give us the courage to take that first step. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you, Ryan. Well, we have some things to do this week, don't we? Taking that first step, being courageous, being bold. Hey, I would love to meet with you. If you're newer, newer to the church, um, uh, I'll be right over here by this monitor. Love to say hello to you before you get out of here and give you a couple quick ways of how you can better connect here. If you need prayer, our prayer team is right over here. They would be glad to pray with you and stand with you in prayer over anything going on in your life. Let's stand up together. Have a great day. Resolve some conflicts this week. Let's do it.